0: I want to take you on a journey with me back to my college days at Rutgers University. Went to college in the 50s. It's the 1950s, not the 1850s. (laughs) And that was an important time in my life because I was coming from a, a Sunday school understanding of God to a mature adult understanding of God. And my journey took place during my college years and was really helped by the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Group on the campus. And that was a big part of my journey in college. In fact, the last two years I was there, I was the president of that local chapter. And um, that's where I also found the hunger for something more. So I came out here and Uh, Enrolled at Fuller Seminary right down the street in Pasadena uh, to learn more about the Bible. I didn't know then that God was calling me to be a minister. I just wanted to know more so I could understand God better. So I studied for four years here, earned two graduate degrees beyond my college, and knew everything about God. I had kept contact with the people from that InterVarsity Christian Fellowship group, and uh, I was impressed by what was happening. They were growing. They were reaching a lot of others who were hungry to learn about God, and it was a spirit of optimism that I had missed during my time there. It was a struggle. But after graduation, Judy and I headed back to North Jersey where we grew up, as we tried to find out what the next step was in our life. And while I was there, I heard about this InterVarsity group down in New Brunswick where Rutgers was, and they were having, they they were feeling so good about their outreach that they planned a big event, which we would never have done, but they had a campus-wide debate. They invited John Gerstner, who was one of the Most outstanding evangelical scholars. He's still active, I think retired, but um, he has had a lot of influence and he was particularly uh, good at debating. And so they invited him to come and debate about whether or not there is a God with a local philosophy professor at Rutgers, a man by the name of Dr. Robert G. Olson, and uh, they did a typical debate format. I looked this up online because I I didn't think I'd find anything, but lo and behold, I did find a record uh, of that event, and, and it said there were over 700 people in attendance. I thought it was large, but I just didn't realize it was that large. But they invited people from campus. It became a big event. Rutgers at that time, and I think still, had a large Jewish population, probably about a third in the time I was there. And uh, they particularly focused on inviting their Jewish friends. And so the place, unbelievably, um, they came. And so I attended the big debate. And Dr. Gerstner effectively presented uh, the Christian view and the Christian argument for the existence of God Now, Dr. Olson, the philosophy professor, uh, didn't try to attack all of what uh, Dr. Gerstner said, but what he did was very clever. He brought up the Holocaust, knowing that there were a lot of Jewish people in his audience. And he said, if there is a God, how could there have been a Holocaust? And I wondered, how would Dr. Gerstner a really effective debater, how would he handle this? I was going to learn from him. And uh, how he handled it was to insist on God's absolute sovereignty and absolute control of everything. And he ended up actually saying that the Holocaust must have been part of God's will and that he he was going to accomplish something even greater through that because God controls everything. I was shocked, not, not just by what he said, but the out loud booing that came from that audience. And I don't remember how long the debate went beyond that, but I remember <laughs> there was no debate after that. And I met with the InterVarsity leadership afterwards who were really downcast about the way things had gone, and I'm the guy. Who has gone to graduate school, so I know all the answers i 've studied under people <laughs> like dr. Gerstner and I can tell you I can tell you that some some I believe some people lost their faith that day um, because they they a hero they put forward did not have the answers. I know it shook my faith it made me Ask new questions about God. And questions is what our sermon series is all about. We we like to say the Bible is the answer book. And we're talking about the Bible being the question book. And so we've gone through some of the important questions that are raised in the Bible. And uh, uh, hopefully have had answers to those questions from the Bible. This one, uh, we're going to raise the question and Probably not have an answer. But just the way it is. Now, here's the question Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? Now, the passage this comes from is found in Exodus chapter 17. And this is part of the drama of the children of Israel leaving the land of Egypt, and finally, after 40 years of struggle in the wilderness, coming in to the Promised Land, which um, was a place of great uh, opportunity, but which they managed to screw up in a couple of generations. And here is an episode that you're probably familiar with, but just listen to it again. Exodus 17, verse 1. From the wilderness of sin... Now, that's the name of a place. It has nothing to do with the kind of sin you do, and I don't. From from the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock of thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do for this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord, I don't know the play on words, stone me. But the Lord said to Moses, "Go ahead of these people and take some of the elderlies with you, elders of Israel, with you, take in your hand the staff with, with which you struck the Nile, the same staff that opened the waters of the Red Sea, and uh, I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it so that the people may drink." Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. We're not told about the fact that a lot of water came from that rock. It's just kind of presumed in the text. We're not even told that this became a habit every day when the cows got thirsty to bang the rock again and have water come out. Numbers chapter 20 recounts another episode of striking a rock for water, which Many scholars think it's about the same uh, ancient story of God's deliverance, but uh, I'm not going to get into any of the details. I just want you to look at uh, two verses. Go back and look at verse two again, where it says, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Okay, those two words, quarrel and test, are specific Hebrew words that talk about um, not the, the opposite of agreement, okay? And uh, they were quarreling and they were testing. If you look down at verse 7, you find the same two words used. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord. Okay, there are the two words again. And what does uh, Masah and Maribel, those two places, uh, those two words mean quarreling and testing. So remember, this is what you did here, and these are the places where you did it. And then here comes our question. Because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying... Is the Lord among us or not? Is he among us or not? Quarreling. Testing. No sure answer. No final word. The doubt is still there. Is God among us or not? And and doubt is a key word. A doubt. I was brought up to think was a bad word. And I'm gonna tell you now it's a good word because doubt is the beginning of the journey of faith. Is the Lord among us or not? Every moment of every day, this question comes up again. Now, remember at this point, the Israelites in the drama of the Exodus, they had already been freed from slavery in Egypt, and you you know everybody who celebrates the Passover in Judaism or that period of time in Christianity remembers the way God delivered the Israelites through the 10 plagues. There were frogs and anything you can imagine that was not good. And these plagues were to persuade Israel, uh, Egypt to let my people go. And they finally did. Every step of the way, there was a miracle. There was a proof that God was among the people. They went to the shores of the Red Sea, and Moses took that same staff and, and put it on the waters, and the waters opened up. God was showing them. God is among us. And they walked out gingerly, finally across. When they got across the Egyptians started to follow them. Once again, boom. The water covered the Egyptians. Is the Lord God among us? And then he took them in that desert place. They didn't have any food. And he gave them this bread every morning. There was sweet bread that they could eat. Is the Lord God among us? But he kept proving and proving and proving. Uh, you know what? All the miracles that Moses did, that Jesus did, that all the saints in church history are supposed to have done, they don't dispel doubt. They create new doubts. And all of the demonstrations, if if this afternoon at 1.15, don't hold me to the time, but if this afternoon at 1.15, every television program all over the world was interrupted by a word from your sponsor, the Lord, and he appeared and demonstrated that he's in control, and at the same time, it popped up on everyone's laptop and everyone's iPhone. You know what? When all happened, we would say, did that really happen? Wait a minute. Did you see what I saw? No, 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 that couldn't have been. We would still not believe. And these... This was the problem that this group of people had. Is the Lord among us or not? Right at this moment, because I am thirsty, my cattle are dying, is the Lord among us? And the issue demanded uh, outpouring of water. Is the Lord among us? Was the Lord among those people doing their weekly food shopping? in Buffalo, reading about their lives. It's interesting how many of them were active in their churches. Some wonderful stories about how they demonstrated God in their lives. In one moment, an out-of-control young man with a gun raised the question again. Is the Lord among us or not? And then, as Connie indicated, just a week later, a little more than a week, in uh, Uvalde, Texas, all, all these kids. Look, look, they're, they're putting those flowers at the base of a cross, which represents the Christian faith. But every one of them in their heart is asking, For a new demonstration, is the Lord God really among us? Why didn't he strike that young man with the gun like Moses struck the rock? Is the Lord God among us? In the Ukraine, the leading church is the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And this is the leading prelate in that church. They're very important. In the struggle now where people are dying and families torn apart. They're bringing the hope of God into the midst of that. Meanwhile, a few hundred miles north in Russia, the patriarch is patting Putin on the back. He's a close friend of his. Fully supports and defends the war. Is the Lord God among us? Or is the Lord God among us? Which branch of the Orthodox Church is God favoring here? And which one is he turning his back on? I remember reading a book. Now, you guys may have seen the movie, but I'm pre-movie. The Last Temptation of Christ by Nikos Kazantzakis, who was also Orthodox in his baptism and upbringing, and his was Greek Orthodox, but a very similar faith background. And and I think that really infuses his spirituality in a lot of words. He was critical of the church, but there's something there that you really have to wrestle with. And uh, I remember being struck by this reading in the book. Zebedee was a fisherman, and he raised his children to be fishermen, And his two sons, James and John, were spending their time running after this new leader guy by the name of Jesus, a nobody. What are they doing following him when we got fish to catch? They tried to explain their faith to Zebedee. And here's Kazantzakis recounting of his imagined response from Zebedee. Good Lord, just think what poor old God must go through, he said with a laugh. He certainly got himself into hot water when he created the world. The fish screams, don't blind me, Lord. Don't let me enter the nets. The fisherman screams, blind the fish, Lord. Make him enter the nets. Which one is God supposed to listen to? Sometimes he listens to the fish sometimes to the fishermen, and that's the way the world goes round. Why? Why does God do this? Why, why, why does he keep escaping us, our, our mental image of him, just when we think we've got it? And to leave this question always open for you to quarrel and test and then believe again. When you rebelieve, you believe on a higher level. When you think you have God figured out, you know you've got an idol because nobody has God figured out. And if the Russian Orthodox prelate thinks he's got the answer, he's got to get humble. But that goes both ways. When we think We've got God figured out and then a crisis comes in our lives that makes us say, is God among us? Is God really among us? I've spent all my life on the belief that he is and now look how he's kicked the the props from under me. How could he let that person die? How could he let this happen? And, and, And that is just the doorstep to a new level of understanding. Because when you go past the quarreling and testing, when you get past that drama of doubt, you know God, but he's a different God. He's a different God. He's a God who somehow, who can understand it, a God who includes a Uvalde and a buffalo and a holocaust. And he's a bigger God than any of us can imagine. So when we think we have him figured out, he unfigures us and challenges us. The God you knew in yesterday's crisis has to be known on a deeper, more profound level for today's crisis. Those of you who have been Christians for a number of years will recognize truth in what I'm saying. You can remember moments in your life that logically should have destroyed your faith, but now your faith is deeper and stronger, but you can't quite explain it as well. You know, because we can't quite explain God. But here's the lesson for today. It's about faith strengthened through doubt. Do you believe? Well, yes, Lord, I believe. Wait a minute, that's yesterday's belief. In this minute, I'm not a prophet here, but of a young man with an automatic weapon came through that back door and somehow got past the burly man standing there And it was our moment. How big is your God? You don't have him figured out? You got a new opportunity to see him. No day old experience of God's presence can guarantee you right now assurance that he's a present reality in today's crisis. Either large crisis or small. This is true on a personal level, Is true as a body of believers. He says, is the Lord God among us? That's the Israelites. It was a people experience. So the same is true when we're together as members of the body of Christ here, and we're praying for the Lord's guidance and believing him for that. Is the Lord God among us? Here's, here's a moment of creativity Something new is going to happen if we really mean that as we ask it. He will demonstrate his presence, but maybe in a more difficult way than we are imagining. Is the Lord among us or not? Questions, doubts, they're all part of a healthy, growing faith experience. Faith strengthened through doubt. So if the things that have happened that you're hearing about in the newspaper or on the TV, if they've shaken your faith, don't panic. Your faith needed shaking. And if you have doubts and questions, don't be afraid. Abraham did. Moses did. The disciples of Jesus did. There was a man who came to Jesus and it's recorded in Mark chapter 9 he talked about his boy his behavior which the man interpreted as the possession by demons it says alien evil force just takes this boy over and in Mark chapter 9 verse 23 he he said lord if you are able in the previous verse he said if you are able heal my boy and Jesus answered if you are able <laughs> He didn't even finish that sentence. Because that's itself an expression of doubt. Mm -hmm. Speaking to deity and saying, if you are able. Mm -hmm. If you are able, Jesus says, all things can be done for the one who believes. In this moment, I added that. For the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe. And then what's he say next? Help my unbelief. That's the journey, people. This moment is the Lord God among us. We're affirming by our presence that he is. We're affirming by our prayers for others in our fellowship and around the world that he's hearing us. But the faith that we have will be answered in a way that is only understandable to him. Why he does it that way, I don't have any. Well, Dr. Gerstner thought he had an answer back in that debate at Rutgers. But he didn't answer it for anybody in that audience. Is the Lord among us or not? That's the question of the moment. And that's the question of every moment. Lord, help us with our unbelief. Help us to see our questions and doubts as opportunities to grow. And help us to be open to the change you want to make in us as we go through new experiences that challenge our faith. And help us, Lord, to be a partner with you In the work of faith-building through doubt. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon. But if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer.com at AOL.com and again as always we pray God's blessings on you this week